Okay. <clears throat> so we are talking about being missions-minded. So last week I said the gospel is a simple message. It's easy to understand. It can be spoken of um, in a few sentences. It's simple to be ministers of the gospel, like Mary simply um, cleaning and um, doing uh, daily tasks for the disciples. Um, but having said that, there is, there is a depth to the gospel. There is... Um, there is so much more to be said. We can explain it to someone in 10 minutes, but we can sit for hundreds of hours talking about it. So today I want to speak about that, um, that part of the message and how just as the simplicity and the, and the effectiveness of the gospel is in this um, short message, and the Spirit can use that, um, there is also a reasonableness to the gospel. So today, Paul and the reasonable message, or the reasonable gospel, what I mean by reasonable is that it is something that we are to reason with others. It is something that we can present evidence for. It is something that we can appeal to the logical senses of someone else the, um, to say that this makes sense. We were watching uh, Alice in Wonderland a few days ago and, and I'm just reminded uh, at the bizarreness of that book. And Lewis Carroll, um, he wrote it with a, um, almost a, a philosophical undertone. He wrote it um, in, <laughs> in criticism of early quantum theory. Like Schrodinger's cat, they did the famous experiment, the cat is both alive and dead at the same time. And Lewis Carroll um, looked at that and said, that's ridiculous. <laughs> there is a cat can either be objectively dead or alive. But they used the experiment to show how particles are in two places at once. And, um, and that is all true. <laughs> but the thoughts, experiments that came from that, Lewis said, I'm going to write a book about complete nonsense. And uh, I'm going to put in some undertones about uh, you can't say things that don't make sense. And it became one of the most beloved books of all time. Ironically, it's, it doesn't make sense. If you read it, everything in it is intentionally written to be nonsense. Um, but that's not the case with the gospel. When we present the gospel, 
and Paul being the the master of words that he was being gifted by God um, in the written word, um, he built cases and he built arguments for the gospel that um, that we we study today. And there is a responsibility on us to consider that that reasonableness. So let's turn to Acts chapter 17 and just see an example of this. Okay. In Acts chapter 17, let's begin at verse 1 to 4. My MEV uh, was removed from the bottom here. I forgot to keep it here, so I'll be reading out of the King James for old time's sake. And uh, you can follow along in your own Bibles. Now, when they had passed through um, Amphipolis, um, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them three Sabbath days and reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must, need have, must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Sorry. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Dear Lord, I do pray that you may help us understand the, um, not only the message of the gospel itself, but the implications that the unity of the scripture uh, speaks about this message and that we can prove it and we can show it. Not that proof is necessary for faith, but that you have enabled us with a logical mind to understand it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here in the first example, um, Paul is preaching. It says it was his, his modus operandi, so to speak. Uh, he had uh, a method of ministry. His um, uh, 
usual way was to enter a new city and go to the synagogue and preach there to the Jews. Um, although uh, he himself um, uh, speaks of himself as the apostle to the Gentiles, um, uh, that was where he began, and that was where um, many others believe. It says, and Greeks also heard him, and, and so he started there, but it could have been that um, this ministry carried on for many months in Thessalonica or, or longer than just simply the three Sabbaths. That's, that's where he started. So there was uh, firstly uh, a set formula he would do when it came to ministry. And then it says, and he reasoned with them. The, the, the King James uh, says reasoned, um, and in verse 3, uh, alleging. But uh, you could also use the word and proving and, and showing evidence from the scriptures that, uh, that Jesus is the Christ and Christ had to die on the cross and that he was uh, risen again. <coughs> and he, he builds a case for it. He reasoned with them. He proved it. He appealed to their sensibility to explain the gospel. Now, maybe thinking, whoa, whoa, wait, okay. I might have signed up for just giving the message, but this is beyond my pay grade. I'm not going to uh, debate with anyone. No, we're not asking for debate. When the gospel was explained to you, did you have questions? Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Who was Jesus? What about sin? Um, what about the penalty? Why did he die to pay for the sin? What, what's the cost? What questions come? <coughs> and we sit and we explain it. And you don't think you'll be able to, but I know you will. Don't be afraid to appeal to that. My most, um, uh, uh, can I say, fruitful or, or effective times where, I, where I've... Uh, the Lord has opened a door, and I can name several times I sat down and I spent hours with this person, <laughs> sometimes family, at family gatherings, even as early as January, I attended my grandfather's funeral, and I got a chance to minister the gospel to several of my family there. Um, and I sat with them for two hours answering questions and, um, and explaining some misconceptions. It's not something that is beyond, uh, it's not something reserved for the academic crowd debating uh, the, the atheists and the... Uh, 
and the other faith, um, for apologists to appeal to our sense of reason and say, you know what, the gospel makes sense. It makes sense. The, you, you can't ask something of it and be like, whoa, these two things don't fit together. There is wonderful reason uh, within the gospel, and that's what led me to, um, or what the Lord used to convict me ultimately. I had, um, if you know <coughs> my background, I was an atheist. And the reason I was an atheist was because uh, I spent years and years um, sampling various religions. And um, <coughs> as I read this book and this book, and through three months later, someone else and a new guy claimed something new about the universe. I read him, and <coughs> when I was a teenager, but even I could say, this guy and this guy contradict each other. And this thing contradicts this, and this thing overlaps this. Um, and it became a confused mixture soup of beliefs. And when I asked people about it, they said, don't overthink it. You know, just, just accept it. No one could, could rationalize the misconceptions, uh, the, mis the contradictions and the, and the nonsense uh, of it all. And so I pushed everything away, and I said, well, then it means there's nothing. <coughs> and when um, I was introduced to the gospel and to the Bible, the idea of objective truth resonated with me. And I didn't know that I needed to hear that, that God is absolute, and there is an arbiter, and there is someone to declare right from wrong, and that it's not just up to everyone's whim and fancy. And the Lord used that to convict me of the gospel. It makes sense. Let's see uh, further on. Uh, how Paul continues to reason with people. <coughs> um, sorry, just find it. <coughs> I'm, I'm on the wrong page because I'm not used to this Bible. I apologize. Um, so then um, he left uh, Thessalonica uh, by force, uh, and uh, he finds himself in Athens. <coughs> in verse 16, now while Paul waited uh, for them at Athens, his, his colleagues, uh, Silas and Timothy, um, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Athens at the time was a cultural hub, and it was also a hub for religious progressiveness, a, 
free thinking, new ideas, and, um, and new flavors of thoughts. And they had a place where they collected this soup of ideas. Um, in verse 17, it says, Therefore he disputed. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, as was his modus operandi, and with the devout persons, and in the marketplace daily, them that met with him. He disputed, <laughs> not arguing, but the idea there is to, um, uh, yes, Paul, but what about this? And I've heard this person say this. Uh, and you come with an answer. Daily. So it, it was a process. It was something that um, that was regarded um, as interaction after interaction. Uh, okay, I hear what you have to say. Uh, come back tomorrow and I'll do some thinking and digging and uh, we can talk more tomorrow. gospel is a simple message. It is a clear message. It is a reasonable message. That fills me with confidence, not doubt. When uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are uh, trained to go door to door to um, to preach their version of the truth with the um, changes to their Bible to match their doctrine. Um, they are uh, taught parrot fashion. They are taught these are the verses that are commonly used and if they say this verse, you say this. If they say this question, you answer this way. And they're taught almost with a flow chart uh, to present the gospel and to present an argument. They're not taught to think through the, the message themselves. And uh, one of the best ways to interact uh, is to use a passage that is not common. They don't have an answer because they're not taught the reasonableness. Well, in fact, their version of the truth is not reasonable. Truly compared to every other uh, school of thought, any other religion, any other form of uh, claimed truth, the Bible makes sense. And trust me, I have been around the block and got the t-shirt. Then Paul was invited to um, uh, the Ariochibus. Um, I'm not pronouncing that right. <laughs> it was uh, a center of 
thought named after the hill where the philosophers met before they built the building, okay? So he was there, and um, he was really seen as almost like a, an amateur philosopher. Well, it's not his ideas. It's this guy's, Jesus' idea. He's just repeating it. He's not a real free thinker like we are, you know? Let's hear him out. Let's hear what he has to say. So what did he do? Did he uh, go to the scriptures like he did in the Jewish synagogues? No. He looked around. And he said, these people are very spiritual. They're, they're looking for something. There's all these gods um, that they can uh, worship. And there's even <coughs> a statue uh, or, or a place, it says, to the unknown God, that they, were, that they were so superstitious or so nervous that they might have missed a God or the God uh, in their thoughts and in their worship. Um, let's just put one, a placeholder in case. In case we miss someone, let's put a place there. And Paul uses that, that sense of logic, to say, hey, I see you left a place here for a God that you haven't heard of. Let me tell you about this God. He breaks it down and he says, um, From verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, um, You men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious, for I passed by and beheld your devotion. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him I declare unto you. God who made the world and all things in it. From the very first statement, <coughs> this uh, passage really, really rich, uh, the, the prime example using other sensibilities to explain the gospel. On the one side, there were um, the uh, ecumenicals that believed um, that matter is the only truth and that matter has existed eternally. Um, you can't create matter. It's just, it's just always been there in some form or another. Um, so his very first statement, he says, and God created all things. On the other side <coughs> was the Stoics uh, and they believed they had a, a view that God was everything, um, that God is in is creation. You know, we refer to this, uh, you might have heard the universe, you know, <coughs> or Star Wars, the force, you know, that, that God is his creation. But you can't create yourself. So right off the bat, 
in the very first sentence, he catches them um, in their misconception. He even quotes poetry, their poetry. He says, um, verse 28, for in him uh, we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So that verse, he quotes two poems, and we have a record of that poem. We know who wrote it. If you say in your own poems that we are God's offspring, why do you build an idol and say that this thing created me when, I, when you created it? That doesn't make sense. Finally, um, in verse 34, after the discussion, <coughs> it says, nevertheless, Men, um, um, men joined him and believed. Men joined him and believed. Among whom, uh, and then it, it names some some colleagues. Verse thirty-two, and it says, and they um, heard of the resurrection of the dead. Some mocked, and others said, "We will hear." the again of this matter. Some of them seemed uh, persuaded. Persuaded. This makes sense. So here is the point for us all. Here is now knowing that the gospel is a reasonable message, knowing we can appeal to people's intellect and their sensibilities to explain this truth, me coming from an atheistic background, the Lord has used that frame of reference, that background, to help me to minister to other atheists. I've tried because I know the kinds of things that they're thinking. I know the kinds of things of the questions that they might have. I've asked them, say, why don't you believe in God? Well, I just don't think it's true. So without convincing you, um, have you read for yourself or have you heard from someone else that it's not true. No, I haven't read for myself. Would you read it? Often it's no. But wouldn't it get them thinking? Hmm, I haven't actually looked for myself. What frame of reference do you have? What unique place in your family or your work relation do you hold that the Lord can use 
for you to share the gospel with others. It starts with the simple message. But draw on your experience, your testimony, your frame of reference to help them understand. think it would be, um, we do say, uh, just share the gospel, you know, and if they don't believe, it's up to the Lord. And yes, that's true, but uh, what if they come running after you with questions, and you say, no, I've just shared the gospel, I've done my part, don't ask me any questions. <clears throat> the Lord can use you in your unique circumstances and your unique testimony to help people understand the truth. Think about that. Think about that this week when you seek to minister to the gospel. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can learn through these examples how to minister and, um, and as we become more missions-minded, knowing there are other people out there that do this every day, all day. What can we do to be ministers of the gospel? Thank you, Lord, that you enable us, you empower us. The word equips us to do this work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> um, I'm going to ask Puleng and Kanye and Boy maybe to join us in front and we can all greet them as we go 